Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the What's Up podcast. Today, we have Ahmed here from the Manasa Initiative. Um, So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you, Bella. My name is Ahmed Al-Mansuri. I use he, him, his pronouns, and I am the program coordinator for the Manasa Initiative at Portland State. And uh, I know uh, we'll talk more about what Manasa stands for and and what it does. Um, I've been with Portland State for for, uh, closer to two years now, and I've also graduate from Portland State from the Conflict Resolution Master's Program. Lovely. Well, we love having alum in our mix and having the PSU community like um, evolve and have that legacy. So that's really cool to hear that you're a PSU alum. Um, So yeah, let's jump right in. And if you could talk a little bit about what Manasa stands for and like how this community kind of exists at PSU. Yeah. So Manasa stands for Middle East, North Africa, South Asia. And that acronym really is referring to a very specific demographic community. Um, And I would say compared to, well, difficult to compare it to other demographics because every area has a different different definition in some capacity, but that particular acronym or that particular demographic identity is uh, fairly new in, in some sense because the Middle East itself has been the most common to refer to this very specific area of the world, which normally would include the Gulf countries, which is Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. And then um, slowly, uh, some of the North African countries were looped into that identity, which are Egypt, Libya, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria. And because of the fact that they were in Africa, even though they carry a Middle Eastern Arab identity, they, they, they sort of wanted to carry sort of an identity that referred to their African heritage in some capacity. So they added the North Africa piece and became MENA region, Middle East North Africa region. And then slowly uh, the South Asian region joined that group of identity um, representing some of the countries such as Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, um, who you know would, would fall under you know, they're in Asia, so they, they've been an Asian uh, uh, sort of identity group. Uh, however, there are some, some common threads and some cultural practices that carry over that whole region that, that make that whole region in some sense can be, uh, uh, you know, can, can connect together on, on, on certain practices and certain traditions. And that's, uh, that's why uh, that identity, Manasa, has been more, more commonly used recently. Thank you for that information. I think that's 
especially because it is becoming a more like used acronym um, currently. I think a lot of people are still learning about it, um, mm -hmm. especially if they're not in the community. So it's really great to know. And, um, and also understand like how those students and communities and cultures like are present at PSU. Could, could you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Now, <clears throat> this is also an interesting question because Manasa students uh, can be a combination of international students that come from various parts of the world uh, that would identify as Manasa. If you present and especially break it down and say, would you identify as Middle Eastern, North African, or South Asian? And then list the list of countries that uh, would represent that, that region. Uh, a majority of our international students would identify with that, especially from the South Asian community, uh, that being India and or Pakistan and, and, and some other countries. I don't want to generalize, but, but, but according to some of the data that we can collect, from the international office, especially as students are required to go to the uh, intensive English language program because they sort of collect that data. Um, that hints at the idea that at PSU, there's a very large community from that region. Also from the Middle East, uh, I would say from, PSU has a contract, I believe, or some sort of agreement with Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, they've given a lot of scholarships for our students, and you'll see quite a large Saudi Arabian community uh, at Portland State, uh, and they, they would identify from, from the Middle East. Um, <clears throat> I myself, as a student, I would, I would say I'm from the Manasa region, I'm from, from Egypt, although I, I'm not an international student, but, um, but I still would identify as somebody from the North African region. Uh, which is Egypt, and <clears throat> I've <clears throat> connected with a lot of students that are from that North African region as well. Uh, the, the second part of that, which is, that was a nice segue, is students that already, you know, either uh, first generation or second generation students that already live here, uh, even born here, and, you know, families have traveled from the Manasa region, and they go to school here. Now, that is relevant in the sense that uh, their cultural background plays a very big role, even though they've lived all their life in the United States, their cultural background plays a big role in how they're going to embark on their educational journey. And that identity component as reflected with our programming and services when we go into it, uh, contributes tremendously to their retention and their success at school. So. That's really good to know. Thank you so much. And I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, Manasa and like how it kind of differs from the other cultural centers, where you're at in the process of becoming a cultural center and kind of like a little bit of history of how that's come to be. Yeah. And Manasa really, uh, it doesn't differ from the other cultural resource centers when it comes to the, the intention of the cultural resource centers to start the initiative. So the initiative is to create a sixth cultural resource center, uh, exactly the same way as the other centers uh, are already designed uh, in every way, La Casa Latina, uh, the Pan-African Commons, uh, the Pacific uh, uh, Islander Asian, Asian American Center, and the Native American Center as well, uh, and the Multicultural Center, which is the very first center under the cultural resource centers. 
so as far as size, eventually when there's a center, as far as design uh, services and programs that we will offer the same sort of structure, a program coordinator, plus some students that are assistants and some students that are working to help uh, under the same leadership, we're all kind of one big team cultural resource center. So in that sense, it's, it's, it doesn't differ much at all. And we collaborate and we operate as sort of one big, uh, one big operation with the exception of how each center does their own events with their communities. The only difference I would say is the fact that Manasa doesn't have a center yet. Uh, we have an allocated space, but we don't have a center yet. And that poses quite a bit of challenge, even though we are in a remote setting, we don't have a space that's then designated on campus that says this is the Manasa, Manasa Center. And no longer an initiative, it's a, it's a student center now. And that may, it does create a challenge in the sense that it's difficult to gather a community around a sort of uh, uh, an abstract concept, if you will, like something that's up there that you know, when you say the Manasa Initiative, not only does the acronym identity is kind of new to some people, but also well, what is what is that as an initiative? Is it just like a program of services? What is it? It's easier to say a center. It's easier to say a physical space to identify with that first and also bring people together physically into that space to get to know each other, to get to meet the people that work there, contribute to the ideas and needs of, of all that. So that's a big difference. The other difference is, is a major difference also is the fact that Manasa does not have a demographic box that Manasa students can check uh, that we can go back and, and, and maybe get in touch with those students and say, here are some of the services that we, we offer. Because when anybody from the Middle East, North Africa, South Asia is encouraged actually, believe it or not, to check, to check a certain identity to check white most of the time. Uh, some students either check other. So, so in some sense, the numbers may be misleading, but we do know from, you know, from interaction and from experience that there is a large community. So that is something that the Manasa Initiative is working on to include a demographic box that would help students check uh, to, to identify. So in that sense, some of the things that are similar and some of the things that are different. Yeah, that's that's a really great thing that I think a lot of people don't think about. And also like was heightened, you know, with how important those demographics are with the census and um, collecting data with COVID and everything. And like knowing the actual accurate representation is so important. And I really hope that y'all, um, after COVID can have a physical space to gather in and, and have like, you know, that grounded sense of community um, on campus in a physical space. Absolutely. We, we, have, a, we have a fund uh, raiser going on right now to collect, you know, the, the, a portion of the amount that's needed to slowly build our center, so. Yeah, uh, we can include that link in the description of this episode too, so you can check that out. And so um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, even though you don't have a physical space quite yet, you are one of the cultural centers. And so what kind of, what does that entail? What are kind of the programs and services that you offer? Yeah. Well, we, um, the Manasa Initiative 
was was granted the students kind of um, worked hard to grant uh, a uh, basically my position to create my position, which is a full time program coordinator, and that was only in effect as of the end of 2019. And so I came on, and by the time I really started to think about programming, we were already in winter term, 2020, January, and it wasn't about you know more than eight weeks, and then we all went remote. So um, even though we did some events in person uh, for the first two months, uh, very quickly, and they were very successful. We did a, a, a henna event, uh, just some some. We had an artist come in and, and do some henna, and we had some uh, Middle Eastern, uh, North African, South Asian desserts and drinks uh, offered to students. That was very successful. We also had a collaboration with the Resource Center for Students with Children. We had a breakfast and that was also attracted. And, and we talked about parenting in the Manasa region. Uh, and that was also a very uh, popular event. And then we went remote. And, and when we went remote, that kind of made all the centers kind of get creative in what type of content that we want to create. And we found that one of the things that we tried that was, I think was rather successful is to uh, have a sort of an interview, an interviewing Manasa professionals type of program and recording it and then posting it on our social media platforms so that students can engage with this content. Either they choose to engage live while it's being, while it's happening or they can engage in the comment section later on when it's posted on our social media platform. So I guess there was a big push to really enhance our social media platforms, make them very active. And uh, I would say in, in that sense, we offer uh, everything that's relevant to the term. So for example, in the spring term, uh, we, we, we always get feedback from students, but because spring term is always marked by this idea of renewal, Ramadan is usually in, in the month of, in the round time of September, uh, uh, spring term, sorry. And also a lot of students are graduating and perhaps looking for work and or getting close to that point. So we offer services that really speak to that notion, though, whether it's how to, you know, being a person of color in the workplace. Uh, how to create a resume in, during COVID times. You know, what, what sort of things should you highlight given this post-COVID era or during this COVID era? Uh, so we, and that's, you know, just pertain to spring. In every term, we, we, we see what the needs might be and we offer those types of programs. It can be a, an, a very educational type of program in the form of a presentation that students can take away some things. And it also can be a type of program that is very entertaining in the sense that it's just a de-stress. We watch a movie together, whether we reflect on the movie or not, we send snacks out. We did uh, an event last term where we sent you know, candy and, and, and some things to students and we all got together and watched a movie a little bit before finals week as a de-stress activity. So a combination of educational, de-stressing and uh, you know, you could say maybe community building programs and events. That's so great. And especially to have that variety and appeal to like different types of people and people who want different types of things. Um, and you talked about the challenges too with being in remote and trying to design things around where people are at. Um, and I wanted to ask you about like 
with those challenges that we've seen in the last year with social injustice and, you know, renewing conversations about anti-racism, what are y'all doing um, with anti-racism, anti-colorism in this community, Black Lives Matter and, and that sort of um, movement and push and how are you incorporating that into your work? Yeah, well, you know, of course, uh, given the, the very fragile and, and difficult times that we've been through as of last year, um, as an immediate response, the Cultural Resource Center in general incorporated a uh, sort of a plan uh, into our work that it, this work is ongoing. So it's always going to be modified. It's always going to be added to. It's always going to be changed as the needs arise. And, and therefore, if you go to the Cultural Resource Center website, you, you, will, see, you will see the statements that kind of embodies what, what we're doing. Uh, it's, it's our Black Lives Matter statement uh, that embodies a lot of things around anti-colorism and anti-racism uh, uh, notions. Uh, more specifically, um, even though this has been a practice that's always been in, in the mind of all the coordinators as we do our programs, uh, we, we were, you know, these recent events make me more want to be more intentional about the work that we offer in the sense that we we want to or at least for my community i always want to make uh the the the, the point to make space for uh speakers from the community to come in and tell their story because we we believe in the, story, the power of storytelling is uh, is always shown uh to be to be very impactful and so one thing is, is inviting uh, community members from, from the community uh, to speak about either telling their story and or uh, the, uh, talking about their area of expertise. So that's been one, one big one uh, that, we, uh, that we incorporated in the work. The other thing is, is really um, always diversifying you know, making a point to diversify our planning committees, our uh, even when we're doing our uh, our events, there, there's always a, a sense of uh, making sure that our uh, not necessarily just you know we don't want to tokenize individuals in, in a certain way, but being mindful of uh, who is on our committee and. And, and what representation is, is, is there and what's not there. Uh, that's also been a big part of our plan. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And um, I appreciate you saying that it's ongoing too and we're all still learning and we all have blind spots and privileges and things to learn. So um, it's good to like prioritize that and also stay humble and, and know that there's something to learn and grow from. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to like how being at a predominantly white institution, how has this community been affected or how is it affected by racism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, those sort of things? And how is that impacting students' well-being? Yeah, it, def it definitely does. Absolutely. Now we, even though I started programming for the Manasa Initiative in 2019, there were some things that happened in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 
on the political level, on the social level, uh, that has impacted students' families, students themselves, directly education, uh, international students, rules about international students, what they can and can't do. One example being uh, some of the uh, decisions that were made around banning certain groups from coming into the United States. And that was, that was very, very impactful for students and uh, either students getting stuck outside the country, not being able to come back or their families. And that of course is, is a, creates tension and creates a disturbance in the students' uh, personal life. And the other uh, more recent examples would be um, rules about how an international student in a remote setting, there was a tricky part where they, um, they almost lost their scholarships because they were required to take in-person classes. And now they're in remote settings. So their classes were sort of seen as, as being online. And that was, they couldn't do that on their scholarship. So that some, some of them had no choice, but to either just give up their scholarship and go back home. Uh, and, and even though that was fixed eventually, but, but it did create a massive disturbance in the beginning of the period. Um, the other part of that is, is, is just a general, you know, we, we did an event that talked about this idea that um, even though we find it difficult in the United States, which, you know, compared to a lot of places in the world, we, you know, the United States is, is quite advanced in, some, in, in many different areas. And so shifting to a remote setting compared to other places was actually a lot easier. If, if, uh, even though I have to acknowledge the mental aspect and the mental drain that, and, and, and exhaustion that, that goes into it, it, it sometimes doesn't compare to not being able to go online at all. Like, can you imagine not having access to the internet at all uh, and therefore not being able to do your work, period. It's not just a matter of, oh, I'm exhausted from Zoom. It's, I wish I had Zoom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be able to do my work. I wish I had a computer that was functioning. I wish I, uh, you know, I had power. Some people didn't have power. I mean, we lost power here in, in some, uh, and so there's, there's privilege quite a bit. And therefore, in, in, a, in, a, in a society globally now that's designed uh, with, with these kind of inequalities and inequities, uh, some of the individuals that are less um, maybe capable as a result of these circumstances that are enforced upon them to perform, they're seen through a, a very different lens that's away from inequity seen as, as a, perhaps a characteristic. Oh, you can't do it because of this, because of that. It's not because of, well, there's inequities here. And that, for, that also plays a very big role. And uh, in the recent years also, the, whether it's racism, xenophobia, or Islamophobia, these have come quite up to the surface very, very much, unfortunately, given a certain rhetoric that's very divisive. And, and uh, I would like to say that the Manasseh Initiative particularly aims to not just reverse that, but not reverse that just by words, but by providing and facilitating an environment that naturally deconstructs that. Uh, and I believe that, you know, just 
just by how we would we aspire to run our center and our space and, and the welcoming that we'd have for all different groups into one place, that in itself speaks to the notion of uh, us one, wanting things to be less divisive, divisive and, and more uh, you know, uh, communal. Yes, exactly. And, and in that same vein, that leads to my other question about like, how does your center act as a source of healing, you know, for this community, and you touched on it, but, but being able to like provide resources for well-being um, that are social, cultural, emotional, mental, um, physical to all of that? Yeah, um, that's a really good question because, you know, you know, and I'll touch a little bit of the conflict resolution lens to this issue. Uh, isolation is not a good thing in conflict. Uh, sometimes a temporary you know, a temporary separation or a temporary break could be good as a way to de-escalate momentarily. However, contact, and they're supported by contact theory really, is, is crucial to resolving and deconstructing assumptions. And there's a famous saying in conflict resolution says, if you're not talking to the other sides, you're talking to yourself. And if you talk to yourself, that becomes, can become very problematic because uh, you could begin to create certain narratives uh, that are all based on just your own, your own way of, of, of uh, uh, decoding things or interpreting things. Uh, and, and these can be easily deconstructed by contact and, and nothing better than uh, you know, having contact. Of course, COVID you know, poses some challenges, but there's nothing better than just coming to the center and speaking to everybody there. And it's nice that we have a leadership and we have a group of people that are able to facilitate an environment where dialogue is possible and these conversations are possible, uh, monitored in a certain way so that we can ensure all voices are heard respectfully, uh, uh, all conversations, not necessarily filtered, but, but presented in a certain way that does not harm any of the community. That's a, that's a very important point that we put, we put forth, is if, if student wants to come in and present, I welcome that very much. I always ask to give me a little hint about your presentation. Perhaps if you're comfortable, show me your PowerPoint. Not in the sense that I want to just censor everything, but in the sense that, you know, because it is a learning experience for, for everybody. For, for even for me. And, and uh, we've had that recently happen with uh, a group of students that wanted to be very helpful and they were very helpful and they suggested a, a short film that we would, we would watch. And uh, we just went in this conversation about how, you know, maybe the film, you know, could, could, we, could we select something else that would convey a different, you know, uh, is the community ready for this? You know, it's a good film, but is it is is it right? And and that was in itself. I like that interaction because it was a learning experience for the students and for me as well. Uh, and so I think that uh, you know, in, in answering the question, how does the center become a source of healing for the community? I say the number one thing is contact, is meeting meeting each other. Yeah, that's absolutely so important, especially in 
such an isolating time, even before COVID, that is so divisive and um, makes you have to feel like you have to defend your, you know, little bubble at all costs. And, and that prevents a lot of conversation and learning from happening. So really appreciate that that's like something y'all are bringing to the table. Um, and and beyond that too, with, with the P PSU community at large, um, what can other people who are not in this community or even within this community do better to, to support you all? Um, and also with non-Christian religious holidays, traditions, cultural traditions that aren't typically recognized like Ramadan that you mentioned, which is, will be um, in week three of this term. Like how, how can the PSU community at large do better? Mm, that's also a good question, of course. Ramadan being a popular, uh, you know, uh, event that is practiced by many in, in that region. Uh, it's not the only, of course, uh, religious or cultural tradition. There, there are many, and there are many that don't observe as well. Uh, you know, I always want to acknowledge the, the many groups that are in the Manasa region, many identities in the Manasa region. Although I always say that there's always a, a common thread between the uh, groups of, of the sentiment, you know, that Ramadan is all about renewal, is all about, you know, uh, trying to be uh, grateful and trying to be mindful of, of, of letting go of certain things that you might think you need that you don't need, uh, it, you know. So uh, there are lots of practices in, in the many different uh, Manasa identities that hint at that same sentiment, and that's what's so great. Um, in answer, in, in, in addressing the question of what the, can the community do, the PSU community, I think that it was so great, it was so great for many of the Manasa uh, members, uh, for example, to hear Governor Brown last year announce that uh, she declared that uh, Ramadan was, uh, or the month of uh, March, or the month of April was, uh, I remember, it was, it was during the end of April, beginning of May was Ramadan because it goes on the lunar moon calendar. So it changes, it comes early every 10 days, uh, every year, 10 days early. So uh, she announced that May, I, I announced that May is the official month of Ramadan for everybody in, in Oregon. It was so great to see that because uh, one of the easiest things to do Ramadan in the Middle East or in the regions that have a majority of people uh, observing is that everybody's doing it and so everything caters to that whether it's restaurants it's coffee shops it's you know everything caters schools everything caters to that and when you have a group of people that are all together uh, you know contributing to or practicing and contributing participating in, in one big event uh, it becomes easy for for the individual and i've seen more and more of that happen over the years, just the fact that the university is aware that this is going on. Many have encouraged staff, beginning from staff, to uh, you know, flex their time if they need to uh, you know, accommodate the, that practice in some sense. That's one thing. Same thing for students. Uh, the common, you know, just to give a little insight of the common of the practice is that you know, the food and the water is restricted in the morning time and it's always towards the evening. So there's more energy at, in the evening. So those observing tend to stay up a little bit more, try to sleep in, 
Uh, and so if, if faculty is aware of that, uh, I would of course encourage students to plan ahead and, and maybe try to take classes in the spring that are more towards the end of the, you know, the second half of the day or something. Uh, or whatever schedule they see fit, right? But maybe communicate with their professors as well. Let them know that that's what's happening that month. And then if, you know, if uh, faculty is, is aware of what it entails, uh, they can, you know, they can suggest some strategies to help with that. Uh, so number one is being aware that that's, that's what's happening. Uh, and, uh, Communicating to others, spreading the word that that's, you know, that you'll see that you'll you might see some energy levels drop a little bit. You might see emails coming from students at midnight. <laughs> uh, and that would hint that you know, they're staying up or something like that. Yeah, I remember seeing um, a friend, it somehow fell in finals week or week 10 or something. And um, she was like, I mean, <laughs> trying to write papers um, on like, you know, not having as much brain food. And so it was very interesting yeah. to see like that struggle and like, oh my gosh, I've never considered like, it would be tough to try to use your brain um, in the morning classes, um, you know? And so ordering food at like in the middle of the night to, to the library and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, especially the first three, four days uh, are, are the hardest when you get used to it. But after that, I think there's a realization that you realize how much less food you can go without. By the time it's like three, four weeks in, you're like, I was eating way too much and I could survive <laughs> on so little. <laughs> yes. And then you just you jump right back into it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, right I mean after. The American diet is um, <laughs> very hard to escape. Yeah. Do you have any um, tips for people who are observing Ramadan or aspects of it um, for staying healthy and taking care of your body and your mind and everything? Yeah, uh, that's that's really a lovely question. To be honest, I've um, I would say you know of course there there is a uh, in the, from 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 what I've seen, you know, growing up in, in in an area that there's a majority of people practicing, you just kind of you you know anybody that if you go to any area that has people observing in large quantities, whatever practice it may be, you'll pick up on the certain things that people do. And one of the things I've seen people do is, you know, they they stay up and they eat. If if they have to stop eating, for example, we say around just a little bit before sunrise that's probably an hour on 5 a.m., then eat a meal an hour before or something like that. Uh, not to get too technical in the uh, nutrition portion, but you wanna stay away from high sodium meals because it'll dehydrate you and you won't be able to drink a lot of water. That's always been a very common thing. So eat something that uh, is, is actually hydrating and, and, and uh, hydrate quite a bit, eat something small, perhaps something with, uh, uh, you know, more, more whole grain that could, that could stay in your system for a long time. Um, I would say uh, don't ignore sleep. Uh, get an adequate amount of sleep because it, it, can, it can help even if um, the body doesn't have uh, food. If you ignore sleep too, it, it could 
far, you know, could, it could be become very difficult. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of people complain from the caffeine intake, they get a lot of headaches. So something that would uh, reduce the headache right before also with this last meal may be very helpful for those who drink coffee and tea and rely on caffeine in the morning. So with, with your last meal, maybe take something like that. Um, the other thing is conserving, conserving energy in the morning, really conserving energy is, I would say towards, you know, six, six or something hours after the fast, because if you're using your mind, you're using a lot of your energy uh, and, and that could tire you out very quickly. So uh, plan a schedule that has, you know, maybe frequent breaks in this remote setting. It could be, it could be an easy thing to do. Uh, and lastly, I would say not to, so I, go, I don't give too much <laughs> uh, and overwhelm is make a schedule uh, and, and stick to it because I think, uh, you know, it, it, try as hard as you can to adhere to a, to a, a repeating routine. So if it's, you know, you, you sleep from a certain time and then take a nap at a certain time and then eat at a certain time, uh, then the, uh, the, uh, the body might get used to that and, and function a lot better if you, than if you just have a random, random schedule during this time. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. I, I hope our listeners can take a lot of that information. Um, and even if they're not practicing or observing, they can, you know, it's all, all helpful stuff. Um, yeah, so I will just close out by asking if there's um, anything else that you'd like to say, any events you'd like to promote or um, services that you want people to check out. And we can leave all those links with the podcast. Yeah, thank you. I would say number one is the Manasa Initiative is really looking forward to having a, a physical space on campus. Uh, we already have, uh, as part of the Cultural Resource Center expansion project, we've been awarded a space to expand our center. And as a result of this space acquired, if we build it out and it becomes a space where a center can, can happen, then Manasa will have a space. Uh, and I encourage all students that, I know that students that are even don't identify as Manasa support Manasa and I'm very grateful for that. And so uh, your voice is always important for us to know how can a Middle East, North Africa, South Asian student center on campus will benefit you. We know, we know it will, and, and, and we are working hard to make sure that it does. Uh, let us hear your voice and you can send us your voice if you wanna email me directly. At, my email can be also attached to the link or if you want to email manasa at pdx.edu, or if you want to follow us, that is also a big one. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, particularly Instagram. It's quite a growing Manasa Instagram, and I'll send those links as well. Uh, our events and pictures and news is always on a weekly basis updated, and uh, that's a really good way to see what we're up to and what we've accomplished and help support us in our future plans. Lovely. I will make sure to include all of that information. Thank you so much, Ahmed, for joining us today. Um, learned a, a ton, and I really hope that um, 
the physical space pans out and it works out for you all. Um, and have a great day. Thank you so much, Bella. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503 503- 725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, check, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and take care.